Jasmine Fiore was a budding model and actress who got her start modeling body paint and swimsuits. At just 28 years old, she'd made quite a name for herself. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Hey, Drew Scott here, and I'm Jonathan Scott, reminding you that life's better with a home policy from American Family Insurance. They can help you get just the right protection at just the right price and help you save when you bundle home and auto. Kind of like Goldilocks and the Three Bears. It'll be just right for you. We love a custom build. American Family Insurance. Insure carefully. Dream fearlessly. Get a quote and find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. Appearing in shows all around the Las Vegas area. And she even had a brief stint on a VH1 reality TV show. But in 2009, Jasmine's career met a sudden and tragic end when she disappeared on the evening of August 14th. Within hours of her disappearance, investigators found her remains stuffed inside of a suitcase and abandoned inside of a dumpster. The state of her body was humiliating, to say the least. In fact, the perpetrator had been so brutal that Jasmine could only be identified by the serial numbers on her breast implants. But who could have done something like this? Well, detectives have a very clear idea of who the perpetrator was, and they even press charges against him. But for a shocking and rather unexpected reason, the man was never arrested, even though the case would go on to change the face of reality TV forever. It was a little over 20 years ago when modern reality TV first burst onto the scene, and many credit the genre's success to shows like CBS's Survivor, which first aired in 2000. After Survivor, which saw a successful launch, series like American Idol, The Bachelor, and The Osbournes weren't too far behind. By 2005, VH1 had really begun to cash in on the new craze of reality television, and soon enough, they launched the series Megan Wants a Millionaire. Despite the show's incredible success, though, it only managed to air for a single season before it was canceled, and it's all because of the tragic loss of Jasmine Fiore. Jasmine had a somewhat difficult time growing up because her parents separated when she was just eight years old. This meant that her mother was forced to raise young Jasmine all on her own, living in Bonnie Doon, California. We all know how expensive it can be to live in California, so it goes without saying that the two likely struggled quite a bit. As Jasmine grew a bit older, she found that she had a love for playing football. Regardless of how inclusive the sport is these days, this was a bit unusual for a girl of Jasmine's size and stature to play such a demanding sport at that time in history. But Jasmine wasn't one to shy away from pushing boundaries. As she entered her teenage years, Jasmine found a job at a local grocery store. But all the while, she wanted to pursue her dreams of becoming a model. As Jasmine became of legal age, she began applying for modeling jobs and managed to land a few work opportunities pretty quickly. She first became a swimsuit model, and soon after this, she found work as a body paint model, working for various people at parties and entertainment gatherings. 
Jasmine was such a big hit with her clients that she even landed several shows at some of Las Vegas' biggest casinos. For Jasmine, everything was going perfectly according to her plan, and she was truly living her dream. She appeared on various commercials for adult services, such as adult phone lines and the like, and things were really looking up for her in terms of her career. But Jasmine knew that her lifestyle wouldn't last forever. Being a pretty smart worker, she began making arrangements for where life would take her when her job as a beauty worker eventually came to an end. So she went to school and got a real estate license, and had made arrangements to open her own gym and personal training center. Jasmine had encountered various love interests over the years, and she eventually caught the attention of Robert Hasman, a man that she truly loved and admitted that she wanted to settle down with. Unfortunately, their relationship didn't really last, and they eventually went their separate ways. And before long, she found herself in the arms of a man named Travis, and the two got engaged in 2006, but they too broke off their relationship. This brings us to 2009, when Jasmine met a fellow real estate expert by the name of Ryan Jenkins. Ryan was a real estate investor who owned properties all around the Las Vegas area, but he wasn't a big shot just yet. He was more of a small-time investor who was still looking to find his place in the business and hadn't quite made it yet. With this in mind, Ryan did his best to keep his options open, and one of his options was to appear in reality TV shows on VH1. Ryan had applied for a new series known as Megan Wants a Millionaire back in late 2008 or early 2009. Ryan was over the moon when he'd been accepted onto this show, but his stint with the series didn't last very long, and he was eliminated in one of the earlier episodes. But for Ryan, this didn't matter too terribly much, that's because just days after he was eliminated from the series, he met the woman of his dreams, Jasmine Fiore. Two days after this, the two were married. This may sound completely crazy to marry someone that you've only known for two days, and don't get me wrong, it kind of is, but the two claim that they have genuinely been in love with one another. According to Jasmine's friends and family, at this point Jasmine was truly, genuinely happy when she was with Ryan. Jasmine was known for being a very vibrant and energetic woman, and her relationship with Ryan only further amplified these qualities. Regardless of them meeting at a casino and having a spur-of-the-moment wedding, their love was very much real. But as you might expect, things weren't always perfect. Within months of their wedding, Jasmine was forced to call the police after her husband revealed a side of himself that she never knew existed. In June of 2009, just three months after Jasmine and Ryan were married, it's rumored that Jasmine had been stepping out of her marriage behind her husband's back. Jasmine had been speaking with her former fiancé, Travis, and the two had met up at what appears to have been some sort of party. At this event, Jasmine and Travis kissed, and this caused Ryan to flip out, and understandably so. But what isn't quite so understandable is Ryan's reaction to learning about this. Now, I don't know if Ryan walked in on the two or if someone told him what had happened, but Ryan sprung into action right away, and he and Jasmine got into a very heated argument. Travis admitted to what had taken place, and soon after, Ryan punched Jasmine and caused her to fall into a nearby pool. The police were called and charges were immediately filed against him. Ryan was then set to appear at trial in December of 2009. But the two reconciled soon after all this unfolded, and before long they were back on the same page again, but their marriage would never be the same after this. Lisa, Jasmine's mother, claims that Jasmine and Ryan fought constantly. 
The main reason for their argument was that Ryan claims that Jasmine was never willing to let go of her former boyfriends. And for all intents and purposes, this seems to have been true. Ryan felt that if they'd broken up, that should be the end of it. But Jasmine didn't feel that way. Needless to say, Ryan was a very jealous man. But strangely, some of Ryan's jealousy and some of his fears seem to have been somewhat justified. According to Ryan's father, Jasmine had been sneaking around behind his back for months. His father claims that Ryan had told him about multiple occasions in which Jasmine would leave for multiple days at a time and never tell Ryan that she was leaving nor tell him where she had been for all this time. Now, what we don't know is whether or not this all came about after the two had the altercation at the party, or if this was taking place when the two were supposedly on good terms. If this all happened right after they separated after the party, then I totally get it. Jasmine needed space, and the last person she wanted to be with was Ryan. But if this was all going on while the two were on good terms and happily married, then you have to admit Ryan wasn't being too unreasonable by wanting to know why his wife had been missing for days at a time. Worse yet, according to Ryan, when she would return, she would repeatedly lie about where she had been. But Ryan had never explained how he knew she was lying. To make things even more confusing, Jasmine reportedly told her mother that the two had annulled their marriage in May of 2009, just two months after getting married. But after multiple searches of public records, there's no proof that this statement was true. By all means, the two appeared to have been married when all of this was going down. This all brings us to August 14th of 2009, the night that the lives of Jasmine and Ryan would change forever and the same night that Jasmine's final hours were captured on CCTV, and the night that would alter the course of reality television for the rest of history. It was August 14, 2009, when Jasmine and Ryan made plans to stay at the Loberge Hotel in San Diego. The two were scheduled to attend a poker tournament, which was some type of charity fundraiser to raise money for the Karma Foundation. CCTV footage from this evening was viewed by investigators who say that the two were seen having a great time together. Both Ryan and Jasmine were seen in the footage laughing and smiling throughout the evening. The couple left the hotel at around 2.30 a.m. on the morning of the 14th, being spotted again at the Ivy Hotel, which was a nightclub in downtown San Diego. This nightclub was the final time the two were seen together, and by 4.30 a.m., Ryan had returned to their hotel room alone and he would check out of the hotel by himself at 9 a.m. that morning. Jasmine was never seen again. It hasn't been reported whether or not she was spotted on CCTV at the nightclub, but whatever took place at that nightclub, things don't appear to have ended well for the couple. The following day, August 15th, police announced that they located a body in an alleyway in Buena Park, California. The person had met a very, very terrible end and detectives say that all of their teeth had been removed, as had all of their fingers, making identification incredibly difficult. Whoever had placed this body here, they didn't want this person to ever be identified. The only thing police were able to determine was that the remains were female, and they'd been crushed inside of a suitcase that was far too small. Later that day, Ryan reported his wife missing. He told police that he had last seen Jasmine around 8.30 p.m. on August 14th at their home in Los Angeles. He said that the two had attended the aforementioned charity poker tournament, 
visited some bars, then they'd returned home, where Jasmine dropped him off and headed out to run some errands. After this, he never saw her again. What's never been explained is why Ryan thought this disappearance out of all the other times Jasmine had up and vanished was suspicious. If you remember, Jasmine was known for disappearing for days at a time. But in this particular instance, he reported his wife missing less than 24 hours after she had vanished. This has never been fully explained, but investigators had reason to believe that there was much more to Ryan than meets the eye. By the following day, Ryan had spent some time at the couple's home packing up some clothing and travel items. He was seen leaving their penthouse on August 16th at around 9 a.m. He then headed straight to Nevada to pick up his boat. But this wasn't the story that he shared with police when they reached out to him later that same day. He told them that he'd been in Utah and was heading to Canada to resolve some immigration issues. Around this same time, investigators had made some progress on the body that had been discovered in the dumpster. Despite the fact the perpetrator had gone to such great lengths to conceal the identity of this person, the remains were identified just days later on August 18th. As the coroner was examining the body, he noticed that the woman's breasts appeared to have been altered, and he believed she may have purchased implants at some point, and this assumption was correct. During an analysis, the coroner removed the implants and was able to read the serial number that had been printed on them. The serial number tied them directly to Jasmine Fiore. The coroner was able to determine that Jasmine had lost her life within just a few hours of her body being found. But things got much worse from here. Police were soon alerted that a white Mercedes had been found abandoned in a parking lot in West Hollywood. This discovery was made less than a mile from the home that Jasmine and Ryan shared in Los Angeles. When the car was searched, it was found that it too belonged to Jasmine. But what made this discovery so disturbing is that the inside of the car was covered in a significant amount of evidence. Red stains were found everywhere in the car, and there were even signs that Jasmine's hair had been pulled out. Police then reclassified the case, officially labeling it as a homicide investigation. At this point, police wanted to speak with Ryan about his whereabouts around the time that Jasmine had vanished, but he was nowhere to be found. The following day, on the 19th of August, Ryan called his father from Vancouver, proving that he did eventually make it to Canada as he had told investigators he would. It was during this phone call that Ryan's father informed him that police were looking to speak with him, and that they'd found Jasmine's body, and that they had reason to believe she'd been the victim of a homicide. At this point, police were actively searching for Ryan. For one reason or another, they firmly believed he was behind the crime, and a manhunt soon followed. Before long, investigators received a tip that Ryan's black BMW SUV had been spotted heading towards the U.S.-Canada border while towing a boat. Police later found the vehicle at a marina in Washington. The vehicle was empty, and the trailer that it was towing was also empty, proving the boat was out somewhere on the water. The vehicle's engine was still warm, though, so Ryan couldn't have gone too far. It needs to be mentioned that at this point, Ryan wasn't considered guilty he was merely considered a person of interest that police desperately wanted to speak to. Police were so interested in getting in touch with him that the U.S. Coast Guard and the Customs and Border Protection Agency announced that they were sending out multiple boats to search for him. It wouldn't be until August 19th that a credible sighting of Ryan finally came in. A witness had spotted someone who resembled Ryan piloting a boat near Point Roberts in Washington, where Ryan's stepmother was known to have lived. 
No sooner than this report came in, police announced that they had reason to believe he had crossed the border back into Canada sometime between the 19th and the 20th. This was the final straw for investigators. They knew that Ryan had been informed that police were looking for him, so to them, this was proof that he was evading capture. This prompted them to escalate their search for him, labeling him as their prime suspect and officially charging him with homicide. It was August 20th when Ryan arrived at the Thunderbird Motel in British Columbia, Canada. He arrived with a young woman who the motel worker described as attractive, young, and very calm. The two paid for three nights at the hotel, and the manager didn't find them even the least bit suspicious. When police investigated the identity of the woman that Ryan was seen with, they quickly realized that it was his half-sister, Elena. The motel manager noted that he'd spotted Ryan walking out front of his room on August 21st, looking extremely exhausted. He said that he looked so disheveled that even though he was aware of the manhunt for Ryan Jenkins, he didn't recognize this as being the same person. By 11.30 a.m. on August 23rd, the manager noticed that Ryan had never checked out of his room, which had been booked under Elena's name. The manager then asked his nephew to go check in on him and make sure that he had left. But that's when he walked in on yet another crime scene. When the nephew opened the door to the room, he found Ryan's body hanging from a clothes rack by a belt. He had taken his own life. A note was never found at the scene of the crime, but investigators would later find one on Ryan's computer dated to August 20th. The contents of this letter have never been made public, and unfortunately, this means that Jasmine's case to this day has never been solved, but this is far from the end of the story. Police very firmly believe that Ryan was the one who took Jasmine's life. In fact, they're pretty much certain that this is true. They have no other people of interest, and it's pretty clear to see that Ryan was struggling with some pretty serious guilt in the final days and hours of his life. After Ryan lost his life, police began to look more closely into his past, and VH1 did the same thing, VH1 being the company that invited him to appear on Megan Wants a Millionaire. According to VH1, they always conduct a background check on every star that appears on one of their reality TV shows. They claimed that Ryan's background check came back perfectly clear. But a subsequent check revealed some interesting information. As it would turn out, back in 2007, Ryan had been investigated for assaulting a woman in Calgary. The production company behind Megan Wants to Be a Millionaire reiterated that he would never have been allowed onto the show if they'd been aware of this. VH1 explained that they employ a third-party private investigative firm to conduct all of their background checks. But these checks are limited to crimes that occurred within U.S. borders, and Calgary is obviously located in Canada. So the information of this crime never made it to VH1. But what makes things even more interesting is that this third-party company, Collective Intelligence, announced that they hadn't actually been the ones to conduct the background check. Since Ryan was originally from Canada, they had outsourced the background check to another company known as Straight Line International. In the wake of the allegations against Ryan, Collective Intelligence sued Straight Line International for breach of contract, claiming that the company was fully aware of Ryan's violent history, but never reported the history to Collective Intelligence or VH1. Collective Intelligence would eventually lose trust with its primary clients, Viacom, NBC, and ABC, and Straight Line was forced to pay Collective Intelligence over $800,000 in damages. But things are still about to get even crazier, if you could even imagine. 
VH1 had not only hired Jenkins to be a part of the first season of Megan Wants a Millionaire. In fact, after he'd been eliminated from the show, they hired him to appear in season three of I Love Money, yet another reality TV series. Now, I've never seen this show, but the Wikipedia article about the series says that the show involved contestants competing in various physical and mental challenges, with the hope of winning a $250,000 grand prize. As it would turn out, Ryan Jenkins actually won the third season of the show. Ryan reportedly called Jasmine every day while he was filming the show, promising her he was going to do everything he could to win the money, so that the two could live the life they had always dreamed of. But it was also reported that throughout the duration of him filming the show, his calls to Jasmine grew progressively more and more aggressive with each passing day, and it became clear that he was growing suspicious of Jasmine while he was gone, and feared that she may have been cheating on him. And upon his return from filming, if the rumors about her involvement with her ex-boyfriend are true, he may have been right, and this may have been his motive for ending Jasmine's life. In the aftermath of this revelation, VH1 made the decision to pull the plug on the third season of I Love Money. Not one episode of this season has ever aired, and the production company, 51 Minds, was forced to settle with VH1 for over $12 million in losses from their inability to air the show. This was a pretty serious blow for the company, and it was a massive blow for reality television as a whole, and could have easily ruined the entire genre. See, when you watch a typical fictional television show, you likely don't think too terribly much about the actors, because they're not portraying themselves on screen. They're portraying a character that was created and written for them. But when it comes to reality TV, part of what makes it so captivating is that you're watching the actual person say and do things that they would likely actually say and do in real life. It may be amped up, but it's not fictional. But the thing with reality TV is that even when watching these stars on the big screen, you still have no idea who they are as a person. And that's a scary thought. It's the same feeling that comes along with watching famous YouTubers or social media stars. You only see what they or their publicity team wants you to see. For Ryan Jenkins, VH1 only wanted you to see the entertaining side of him. For the most part, these companies couldn't care less who these people are behind the scenes. And Ryan was no exception. If I'm being honest, I have a pretty good feeling that the only reason VH1 was even upset about all this was because it nearly lost them $12 million on that third season of I Love Money, and a scandal like this could have easily ruined their entire reality TV catalog. When speaking with Mark Cronin, the co-founder of 51 Minds, the main production company behind many of VH1's most popular reality TV shows, he explains that the loss of Jasmine Fiore has cast a shadow on the reality TV genre as a whole. He said that the crimes of Ryan Jenkins have given him new perspective when he's selecting contestants for future reality TV shows, saying that he trusts his gut a lot more these days, suggesting that he had a gut feeling that something wasn't right about Ryan, but chose to bring him on the show anyway. Further proving my point that, for the most part, these companies don't care about these people or who they really are as a person. Another producer spoke up and said that he would rather have a gut feeling about someone, exclude them from a show and be wrong about them, than end up with another situation like Ryan Jenkins. The producer for another reality TV series, Big Brother, has even stated that these days, many studios who conduct background checks no longer even take into account their budget. They want the best, most thorough background check they can find, with no regards to cost. And I just hope that this is true. In the end, 
Ryan Jenkins was never able to be held accountable for his alleged crimes. But if there's anything good that's come out of this case, it's that the entirety of reality TV seems to be a much safer place now, even if only to protect the bottom lines of these faceless corporations. But it should never have taken the loss of someone's life for these studios to provide their actors with a safe work environment. And that much should never be forgotten. Thank you guys for tuning in to another episode of True Crime Stories. If you enjoyed this video, check out this other interesting case that I covered. And don't forget to subscribe. It's totally free and keeps you up to date with all of my future videos. But with that, my name is Ty Knotts, and I'll catch you guys in the next one. It's lunchtime at Tim Hortons, and we're serving up a special deal just for you. Our new $5.99 lunch deal includes your choice of any lunch sandwich and a side of crunchy kettle chips. Because what's lunch without a little crunch? And the sandwich choice is all yours. Like a ham and Swiss, Chipotle chicken wrap, BLT, and more. Made to order just the way you like it. Tim Hortons' new lunch deal. Simple, delicious, and just $5.99. Now that's a good deal. Only at your neighborhood Tim's. U.S. only. Price and participation vary. Terms apply.